Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred. And we got a great show for you planned here today. We're going to go through our favorite favorite storylines from last week. We're going to, as always, make our predictions. But first, we're going to dive into kind of the playoff picture as it stands currently. Uh, who's still active? Who's, uh, who's missing out? I don't really want to get into the, the tiebreaker scenario, so we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But just wanted to give everybody kind of a, a short overview of what's happening. And then uh, we're going to le- continue off from where we left off last week. We're going to do part two of the NFL redraft. So we got a lot of great stuff planned for you. So let's just jump right into it here. So taking a look back at our week seven storylines, we're going to pick our favorite one here. And right off the bat, the one that I found most intriguing is going to be the AFC North champs. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals defeating the Kansas City Chiefs 34-31. So as mentioned, the Bengals win the outright AFC North title. They uh, pretty much lock up the four seed at least in the playoffs with a win over the Chiefs here. And it's, it's, this has huge playoff implications in the in the long run. But back to the game first. So they're trading punches in the first half. They go into the half 28-17. to Bengals know they're getting the ball in the second half. They end up scoring... And they really made it a competitive game from there. They had a interesting series of events where they get down to the goal line at the end and go for it on fourth, get a penalty, get the ball back, end up uh, kicking the field goal and kneeling the clock out to win the game. But really, this was a offensive showdown. 475 yards for the Bengals and 414 for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, most of the damage was through the air for both teams. 415 for the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And 259 for Patrick Mahomes on the other side of things. And really, if anybody was watching this game, the, the, the main thing that you got to take away from it was Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are next level good together. Uh, as mentioned, they got 446 yards with Burrow and four tutties. But Chase ended up with 11 grabs, 266 yards, and three touchdowns. They're averaging 24 yards a pop on Sunday every time they made a connection there. And it was it was truly something to behold. Uh, they're not afraid to take shots, and Jamar Chase is absolutely phenomenal at some of these 50-50 balls. He's really strong going up and getting it and coming back down. And really after the catch, I was kind of surprised at some of his breakaway speed that he showed on one of his touchdown runs to the end zone. But but hats down, this is a this was an absolutely phenomenal game. It had the right amount of offense everybody likes. Came right down to the end of the last play, and congrats to the Bengals that are getting to be AFC North champs. And on the flip side of things here, this really affects the Chiefs' playoff runs here. And I know in our prediction segment, we're going to kind of try to break down some of this stuff and what it currently looks like, what it could look like. But this drops them out of the one seed and allows Tennessee to move up. And really now the Chiefs have to win, and they're going to need some help as well too. So... Really hurts their chances. Uh, the playoffs won't run through Arrowhead. But nonetheless, uh, the Bengals get a huge win, and that's the main storyline here from this past week. Next up is going to be the Indian, or excuse me, the Las Vegas Raiders taking down the Indianapolis Colts 23-20. to uh, Once again, they get a last-second field goal, take the lead, get the win in a one-score game. And this is this is one of the weird games where I know watching most of it the entire time, it was uh, Derek Carr kind of struggling to get anything going offensively. He had uh, two picks early and a touchdown, 255 yards total. And Josh Jacobs added 63 on the ground and a touchdown. And 
it just it, it didn't really seem like there was much of a threat from the Raiders to win this game until you look up at the scoreboard in the fourth quarter and you can see they're marching down the field going for a game-winning field goal. And I honestly, I picked the Colts. I thought that they were going to be much better. It's another extremely pedestrian day, game for Carson Wentz, 148 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jonathan Taylor does Jonathan Taylor things, adds 100 yards and a touchdown, showing that he's the driving force in that offense. But once again, this is where the MVP conversation starts and ends with running backs. His Jonathan Taylor has a good day here, 100 yards, uh, 5 yards of carry and a touchdown, but he's not affecting the game enough to to really take it over and win these these decisive games like this. Uh, this is where we're going to need more from Carson Wentz, and this is where you're going to get in trouble in the playoffs. If your defense is stepping up like they did, creating turnovers, and your running back's controlling the ground game, you know, five yards of carry, that's that's controlling in my opinion. Now you need to do your job. They're going to start loading the box. We're giving you extra possessions. you got to capitalize on them, and they didn't really do that in this one. So Raiders get the 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 rare minus two turnover battle win, and really they they keep themselves alive in the playoff race. And like I said, we'll go into that later. But the big thing is they're the second storyline coming out of the weekend here, which will take us right into our third, uh, excuse me, storyline from the past week, and that's going to be the. Whew, I'm looking up the score here. I apologize. The Cardinals outlasting the Cowboys. Uh, at Jerry World, 25-22. to 22. So another one here where the Cardinals, I'm pretty sure everybody had the Cowboys in this game. They were still alive for the one seed. They come into their home game here against a team in Arizona that's really been real in the last few weeks. They had a couple of real tough losses, uh, one to the Lions. I believe one was to a divisional foe there. And uh, I believe it was the Rams. And they just haven't looked like a complete football team in a while here. And still, they they make a few head-scratching plays. But nonetheless, Kyler Murray, uh, a great day for him. 263 yards, two touchdowns, 44 yards on the ground. To combine with about 70 yards from other members of the Arizona squad between Chase Edmonds, uh, Dorch, and uh, Ward, and Eno Benjamin as well. So quite a few contributors on that offensive staff. Uh, they also spread the ball around pretty well. A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, some big days. Zach Hurts uh, making his presence known since he's come over from Philly. And then on the flip side of things, Dallas. Uh, Dak looked all right at times. Uh, he's getting the touchdown numbers here. He's got three on the three through the air, 226 yards, though, is, is not his normal output that we're, we're used to seeing. And really the ground game for Dallas is almost completely non-existent in their refusal to try to put the ball on the ground and really get something going is is something that's really going to come back to hurt them in the in in the postseason. They their leading rusher on the day is Dak with five carries, twenty yards. Uh, they only had twelve carries between Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, uh, twenty five yards. That's just never going to get the job done. Uh, that's not going to keep opposing offenses off the field, keep their defenses on the field, run the clock. Uh, that's just not enough offensive output in general either. Uh, Three hundred one yards is just extremely pedestrian so I had I have some serious concerns with the Dallas Cowboys especially when you're beating them on some of these NFC East teams that really aren't that great and then you you go against a solid foe in the Arizona Cardinals who for much of the season held the one seed uh, and you just look almost like floundering on offense Arizona Cardinals also win the turnover battle in this one they go plus one they force a fumble for the Dallas Cowboys and Really, uh, this is a this is a huge statement win for the Cardinals. They kind of were in all different kind of sorts. Uh, 
uh, coming into the week. Nobody's really sure what was going to happen there. Are they going to be able to recover in time for the playoffs? Is Kyler Murray not who we thought he was? Uh, is Cliff Kingsbury, is is he a product of the team? Is a team product of him? There's just a lot of different uh, narratives coming from this one. And I think they kind of silenced some of them. This is a big-time win against a playoff hole. So congrats to the Cardinals. And they get our third-best storyline from the weekend. And, of course, for our fourth storyline, this is this game's got to come up at some point here just because of all that happened during it. And we'll get into some of that after we kind of break it down here. But it's going to be the Buccaneers uh, overcoming the New York Jets to win 28-24. to And on the road, the Buccaneers, uh, heavy favorites on this one. And they come out and they're in a slugfest with the Jets. They really took it to them early. Uh, Michael Carter was really dominating on the ground and through the air. He ended up getting 54 yards, three carries. It added a catch for nine before he ended up going out with a concussion. And really, uh, Braxton Berrios has really come on as like this dynamic playmaker that Lafleur's kind of took off the scrap heap and kind of created something with him. He eight catches, 65 yards, a touchdown to add with two carries on the ground for 12 yards uh, and another touchdown. So they're doing some pretty dynamic things with him with a guy that not a lot of people gave a, a chance to do much of anything. And like I said, they made it extremely competitive through, you know, at least halftime into the fourth quarter here. Uh, it was 10 to 17. Jets were leading at half. They both come out, scored touchdown a pair in the third quarter. And then that's when the Buccaneers pulled away and took the lead. Uh, the, the main storyline coming out of this one is the Buccaneers lose Antonio Brown, who just absolutely went bananas on the sideline and took all of his stuff off, throwing it in the, the crowd and, He's crossing the field as the the game's going on, and as soon as the game's over, there's a lot of leaks saying, like, oh, yeah, he's no longer a part of the Buccaneers organization. We're done with him. Basically, it looked like he quit on his team. It looked like they tried to save save him, like, hey, man, don't do this here, and then he's gone the next second, and I didn't see a lot of people chasing him. was a good point. It, who's going out there trying to stick their neck out for him to keep him out there? and making sure he's making the right decision here to, to stay with the team and really make this big push for the playoffs again, and it was nobody. But it's it's still a fluid situation there. It sounds like uh, Brown had some concerns that uh, the training staff wasn't acting in his best interest, that he had an injury and they were going to force him to play, and he said he wasn't ready. So it'll be an ongoing saga. But nonetheless, it created some very interesting drama for the weekend. But... With Antonio Brown gone and now Chris Godwin on the, in the excuse me the IR with the ACL tear, they're running out of weapons fast. Uh, I know Gronkowski's healthy in this one, seven catches, 115 yards, but uh, other than that, they just got Mike Evans. I mean, Mike Evans is all pro level worthy receiver, four catches, 47 yards in a TD. I think I read something that he's got like the most TDs in the last three seasons combined or something like that. It's just a crazy number, but like. He's an extremely good target, but you look at some of these good playoff teams and they're able to spread the ball around. They're going to have multiple options to throw the ball to, different kind of outlets that they can lean on. And now that you've lost Leonard Fournette and these other two receivers we mentioned, where's this offense go from there? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Tom Brady is doing Tom Brady things, looking superhuman still, 34 completions on 50 attempts, 410 yards and three tutties. So he's doing his part, but at the age of 45, uh, I don't think he can do it by himself anymore. You're going to need some help. And it's it's slightly concerning that the Jets uh, gave him this big of a fight. 
But looking ahead, uh, the Buccaneers, they're still in play for, or excuse me, the Packers clinched the one seed. So basically the Buccaneers are playing for the two seed. So we'll see uh, whether they rest the starters or not. But some shaky outcomes in this one, some high quality drama, as mentioned as well. But nonetheless, Buccaneers come out on top, just as we all expected, 28-24. Which takes us into our last game here. And it wasn't necessarily the best game, but I want to mention it just because uh, we're getting one of the best players of this generation to his last home game. And it's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers winning 26-14 over the Browns. And Ben Roethlisberger, it was announced that this is going to be his last home game at Heinz Field. He's retiring after the season here. And I actually had taken the Browns in this one. I thought that they were going to be way more competitive. I thought we were going to see a little bit more out of Baker Mayfield. And once again, Baker Mayfield looks absolutely terrible. And I'm not it's it's gotta be injuries at this point. I don't I don't get what this the staff's trying to do. They're forcing him out there every week and maybe not forcing him. I know Baker's a competitor, but at some point you've got to look at his long term future. Like they're just com- completely blowing this guy's shoulder up he's he's looking terrible uh, he's he's probably cost himself a ton of money this year playing uh there's talk about him signing a 30 to 40 million dollar extension uh prior to the season and now if someone mentioned that you'd be insane nobody would ever pay him that so it's it's really been to his detriment and i, I have serious concern about the browns if he's playing under center uh they, they don't have a ton of high profile targets from the throw to and they, their refusal to run the ball with Nick Chubb lately has been extremely befuddling as well. Just because, I mean, he's averaging five yards a clip. The guy's an absolute monster when he's carrying the rock. But he's only touching the ball 12 times in a competitive divisional game here is extremely, extremely questionable in my opinion. But we get the Steelers. Uh, they have a really good day. And it's not necessarily Ben Roethlisberger. 123 yards and one touchdown a pick isn't very good. Uh, once again, it's one of his scattershot performances. He's only throwing the ball three, four, five yards down the field. But Najee Harris, absolutely electric in this one. 28 carries, 188 yards, and a touchdown to go with three catches and 18 yards. And this is the stuff that we expected him to do when he came into the league. Be immediate impact, immediate help for this offense, and kind of a spark plug that they really needed. And that's exactly what he was this week, to get a big win over divisional foal. Uh, I believe they still have some very slim playoff hopes alive. But really what this does is this clinches the the 15th consecutive I've seen for Mike Tomlin. He's never had a losing season in his coaching career. And that this one clinches the 15th in a row. So main thing here, it's it's hats off to Ben. Congrats on the great career. And it was, it was really cool that he got to have the send-off. He did it at Heinz Field on a win. And I think it's time for him uh, – it's it's hard to come watch him come out there and be an absolute sliver of what he used to be. So, congrats, Big Ben, on the career. Uh, congrats at the career at Heinz Field, and hopefully they can maybe sneak into the playoffs here. For our Jameis Winston, uh, unlikely hero of the week, uh, as always, we're going a different route with this one. I think I say that every single week. But uh, this is a guy that I think that really deserves some spotlight a couple different weeks. But uh, this is the week that he's really going to earn it. So this is the route we're going to go with it. And it's going to be Deontay Foreman uh, running back for the Tennessee Titans. And Deontay Foreman, uh, just to fill you in a little bit on his history, um, he came out as a running back from Texas. He was highly touted. 
he had a ton of rushing yards. I think he went over 2,000 there one year. And he's drafted in the third round of the 2017 NFL draft by the Houston Texans. Uh, he s- ends up lasting two years in Houston. He started uh, one game, played in 10 his rookie year, only played in one game the year after that. And then by 2019, he's on the street, not playing for anybody. Sits out an entire year of 2019 and comes back and plays six games for the Tennessee Titans last year. And then this year when Derrick Henry goes down, they turned a, a combination of guys. And really it's been Deontay Foreman who's kind of took took the job by the horns here in the last five weeks. Uh, he's ended up with, over the last five weeks, 413 yards on about, uh, let me do the math here quick right off the top of my head, you know, just under 100 carries. So that's that's over four yards of carry, and he's got three touchdowns to add to it as well. But really when you think about it, for an offense that leans on one player so much, and he's considered this transcendent dynamic talent, and when you lose that transcendent dy- dynamic talent, and it kind of exposes some other flaws on this roster, like you know Tannehill not being able to carry him alone. Uh, to have a guy like Deontay Foreman step up in a time of most need is extremely, extremely clutch, and it's a it's a big-time move on his part, and really he's done himself a lot of favors, showing that he can still play in this league. Uh, I, I know maybe the top end speed eight there, and I think that's kind of part of the reason he fell in the draft is he's not this elite athlete, but, I mean, the guy's 6'1", 236 pounds. He's an absolute tank. He's not quite at the same level as Derrick Henry, but, I mean, if you're looking for Derrick Henry light on a cheap contract, this is the guy you could have turned to, and he's really, really capitalized on his uh, his opportunities in Tennessee this season. So your unlikely hero of the week, Deontay Foreman. So taking a look ahead to the the last week of the regular season here, NFL Week 18 action. Uh, as always, we'll take a minute here to reflect on our record last week. And once again, like I said, we're starting to figure this stuff out. We're starting to get a, a good idea of who's who and basically what teams are what. And we ended up going 11-5 and five last week. We even called the Bengals game. Uh, I, I just had a really good feeling about that one. I thought that, you know, the Bengals were really going to come out and light the world on fire. They're going to really hit their stride here as they start to, to hit the playoffs and they didn't disappoint Joe Burrow was electric again so nonetheless we're not going to dive into the Bengals again but our picks are red hot so before we jump into the actual picks, so as promised we're going to take a look at the playoff pictures for the AFC and the NFC as they currently stand who what teams are still alive uh, I'm not going to dive too much into how to get in because some of them it gets extremely extremely murky and I don't really want to go into that. It's going to get, it could get ugly fast, and I don't want to mess something up. And the AFC is a little more confusing with the NFC, so we'll start off with the NFC. So the Green Bay Packers have clinched the, the number one seed. Uh, they get the first round bye, so they're most likely going to be resting starters this week. You won't see a lot of Aaron Rodgers, a lot of some of them guys that are nicked up, uh, pretty much any of the starters, I would assume. And with your other two division leaders, you get the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East. You get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the South, the Packers in the North. And then obviously in the West, the, it's still up for grabs between the Arizona Cardinals and Los Angeles Rams. And then the Philadelphia Eagles have also clinched a playoff berth. So the important thing is there, those last three teams have clinched a playoff berth, Arizona, Los Angeles, and Philly. But it's just necessarily of where their seeding is going to fall, which leaves one spot still open. It's going to be that seven seed. 
And basically, it's up for grabs between the Eagles, the Saints, and the Niners. So, San Francisco 49ers can get in with a win or a tie. So, basically, they control their own destiny. They win, they're in. But the the caveat here is they're playing the Los Angeles Rams, who are also playing for seeding. So, they're going to get each other's best shot. It's going to be a really good game. Um, looks like that's going to be an afternoon game. So, that'll, that'll be one to mark on your calendar. Make sure you're, you're tuning into. Turning it to the New Orleans Saints, the other team on the outside looking in currently. New Orleans gets in with a win and it's San Francisco loss. That's the only scenario. So basically, New Orleans playing Atlanta, uh, the lowly Atlanta Falcons, who are 7-9. Much more likely that they can get a win there. So if they win, they're in, which that's a very likely scenario that could happen uh, with Atlanta being kind of terrible and the Los Angeles Rams being really kind of good. So pretty cut and dry there. I know that there's some shifting that can happen depending on who wins, uh, where if the Niners win, they get the six seed. I think the Eagles get the, the, the seven or if the saints get in, then they get the six or they get the seven, the Eagles get the six. So it's just a matter of shaking things up who gets what, where, but pretty cut and dry for the NFC flipping over to the AFC is where it's going to get a little more confusing here. You're going to get the Three division winners, so it's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North, Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West, Tennessee Titans in the AFC South, and then we turn our heads to the AFC East. And this one's still up for grabs between the Bills and the New England Patriots. Uh, Basically, that's a seeding battle. Whoever's going to get the division title is going to get the three or four seed, I believe. And whoever doesn't is going to be the first wild card. So looking ahead here, This is where it's going to get murky, and I don't really want to get into the waters too much. The wild card scenario is pretty much an absolute disaster where the Baltimore Ravens, the Indianapolis Colts, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are all still alive in one way or another for two playoff spots. So I I believe I had that right. Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers, Los Angeles Chargers, excuse me, Vegas Raiders, and I believe that's it. I I don't think the Browns can get in anymore after losing on Monday, but that's still, it, that's pretty hairy going into week 18 that there's four teams alive for two playoff spots. Uh, as it stands, they're all pretty much 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. I know the, the Colts are pretty much in uh, if they can win or if they tie. And the only thing that hurts them is a loss, but they're playing Jacksonville. So, I would bet my money that they're going to get in there. And I would also assume that the Chargers are going to get one of those playoff spots as well. But like I said, we can't bet on anything just yet. Nothing's guaranteed. But those are the four teams fine for the last two spots. So that's a quick, really general overview of what the playoff scenarios look like. So you can imagine just about who's going to get their best game. A lot of them teams that have clinched already aren't going to be playing much of their starters. So... Unless they're battling for seeding, which is really only a few of them teams. So let's just jump right into the games here. We could we get back a couple Saturday games. Uh, taking a look ahead here, it's going to be the Chiefs at the Denver Broncos. The Broncos really aren't playing for anything, and the Chiefs really are fighting to get the best seed that they can after coming up short this last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. So I would, I'm going to rock with the Chiefs here. They've owned the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos didn't look very good against the Chargers last week. They looked extremely not a competitive. Um, and I think the Chiefs are going to be hungry. They're going to 
They're going to come in mad. They're going to come in angry. They're going to put up a ton of points, and I don't think the Broncos are going to stop them. Give me the Chiefs over the Broncos. Taking us into the NFC East showdown, and it's going to be the Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles. So the interesting thing here is the Cowboys fighting for seeding most likely start a lot of their, their main guys. Uh, they might call the dogs off, or excuse me, they can't call the dogs off at the first NFC game. But flipping the script here, the, the Eagles really aren't playing for that much here, to be honest with you. You're, you're playing for the sixth and the seventh seed. So in my opinion, if, if, if you're banged up, there's some guys that need some rest, get them some rest this week. There's no reason to play them. Come firing in on all cylinders because you might have to play the Cowboys again in that first round. So don't show them nothing. Real vanilla game plan. And come ready to fight round one. So it'll be interesting to see what, what team we get there. But nonetheless, I'm I'm taking the Cowboys. I just think they have more to play for here. And I think you're going to get their best shot after coming off a tough loss to the Cardinals. Which takes us into our next game. It's another NFC East showdown. And really, it's it's a meaningless game. They're not really playing for much here. It's going to be the Washington football team going against the New York Giants. Uh, side note, apparently Washington football teams picked a logo. And they're going to reveal it on sometime in February that first week. So that'll be interesting. But... Uh, really the only person that's worried about this game has got to be Joe Judge because if you come out there looking like you did last week against a team that's not very good with a quarterback that's not very good, again, <laughs> your job is seriously going to be in jeopardy. I know the, the front office come out and said that they're both going to be back, but if you get trounced by Taylor Heineke and the Reds, uh, the, excuse me, the Redskins, the football team by 30 points, um, what are we doing here? Why, why, why are we keeping this guy? Nobody wants to play for him anymore. Might as well clean house right away. So I'm going to take the Washington football team just because I'm not a believer in Mike Glennon and uh, Jake Fromm and whatever cast of quarterbacks that they're going to trot out there and look terrible. I feel terrible for guy for guys like Saquon Barkley and a couple of these receivers on the roster, like Kenny Galladay and these guys that really want to put up numbers. They want to be on great offenses. And they're just getting almost zero, nothing from this team. And it doesn't seem like nobody wants to play for Joe Judge again. And once again, the Washington uh, football team, I, I don't know if they necessarily have more to play for. I think they're in a more stable situation. But I think you're going to get guys like Taylor Heineke still with something out there to prove that he could still be the guy somewhere possibly. He could be a bridge gap solution. And I think you're going to get a, a good game from him. So give me the Washington football team over the New York Giants. Taking us into our next divisional showdown, it's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals at the Cleveland Browns. And it's already come out that uh, many of the Bengals are going to end up missing this game. It sounds like Joe Burrow's not going to play. I'd expect a few of the other starters not to as well. Uh, try to get some of them bumps and bruises taken care of. Just because I think it's a very outside shot that they can really affect their seeding one way or another. And on the flip side, I think the Cleveland Browns, a lot of this roster, I mean... I don't know if they have a shot at the playoffs. I don't believe they do. And I think you're going to see a guy like Baker Mayfield is seriously playing for his job. He's playing for his paid next paycheck. And, like, if you look terrible again, you look terrible all season. Uh, this is, What's your lasting impression going to be? Is it going to be, you know, a, a three-touchdown, 275-yard performance against the Cincinnati Bengals and their backups? Or is it going to be another pedestrian, you know, one-touchdown, two-interception, 175-yard game? where it looks like you can't push the ball anywhere and you can't, you have no accuracy on any of your passes. So I think just based on that, you're going to get a lot more 
competitiveness out of this Cleveland Browns team. And if they really want to rally behind Baker, if they really believe he's the guy, these players are going to give everything they got, and they're going to come on, and they're going to beat up on a Bengals team that's pretty much given the game up. So give me the Browns over the Bengals. And we're blessed with all kinds of divisional showdowns this week. We get the Steelers at the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens are still fighting for the playoffs, and it sounds like they're going to push for Lamar to play this week. Uh, after a couple weeks of rest, I would expect much more competitive uh, football being played by him. Uh, it sounds, last week he was he couldn't even make it through practice, so limping off the field. So no surprise he was inactive. But if they really want to fight for the playoffs, if they want to be in contention and even have an option with some help from others to get in, they got to win this week. And I think Lamar gives you a much better shot than Tyler Huntley or Josh Johnson or whoever, anybody else is that they, they play on trotting out there at any point in the season. So give me the Ravens over the Steelers. I just think there was a little bit of magic with Big Ben beating his last home game last week. I think it's going to wear off here. I think it's going to it's going to come up short. You're going to see some more of the, the running game that's been exposed in weeks past. And the passing game really not being able, or excuse me, the pass defense not really able to stop anybody. Uh, hopefully T.J. Watt breaks breaks the single-season uh, sack record, and he's really only played like 14, 15 games this year, so that would be really cool, That something that would be cause for tuning into the game here. But still taking the Ravens over the Steelers. And another game that's going to matter for pretty much nothing here, it's going to be the Green Bay Packers at the Detroit Lions, and it sounds like the Packers with the one seed wrapped up most likely going to rust some of these starters. I would imagine we don't see any of Aaron Rodgers here uh, with the toe issue he's been dealing with. But uh, I, I'd i still tune into this one just to see what you can get out of Jordan Love with some of these second-team guys against a lowly uh, Detroit Lions team. And really, the the Detroit Lions, they play hard against everybody. So what makes you think that they're not going to come out here and give their best shot to a team that's been picking on them in the division for weeks and weeks? Uh, I'm not going to go against the Packers, even with some of the backups playing. I think Jordan Love has gotten a bad rap, and it's not really been fair. Uh, that Kansas City game, thrown to the fire, and the coaches really didn't do much in game game planning-wise to help him and slow down some of that pass rush. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Lions take something out of the playbook for that against uh, the Green Bay Packers. But I just think that even with Jordan Love and some of these uh, bottom-tier guys at some of these positions, I still think... They're a little bit deeper. They're a little more talented than this Detroit Lions team. So give me the Packers over the Lions still. Taking us to another divisional showdown. And as we said, this one's got some serious playoff implications. It's going to be the Indianapolis Colts at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jacksonville Jaguars at this point in time look like a middle school football team. Uh, I mean that, I guess it's not a very nice thing to say. So I mean it, I guess, as I say it. But you're getting blown out of water week in and week out. I mean... 40 points by a New England Patriots team that, I mean, sometimes they don't even throw the ball more than five times. So who are you? I mean, you, you had a once-in-a-generational quarterback prospect that has stats comparable to Blake Bortles in his rookie season. Like, here we are. Where These are facts. These are things that are happening as we currently speak. And this team has no direction, so there's serious concerns. Uh, on the other side, Jonathan Taylor might run for 250 yards in this one in route to... Uh, securing a playoff berth this this team and I think they're going to do it this week I think it's going to be blown out of the water 20-30 points convincing win Indianapolis Colts get in and they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars take it in just to into a game that really means absolutely nothing uh it's you get two lame duck coaches facing off here 
It's going to be the Chicago Bears at the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't know if anybody watched that presser that uh, Mike Zimmer gave after the game last week, but uh, if I was Kellen Mond, I, I'd be pretty disappointed. Um, essentially what happens is Zimmer goes to the podium after the game saying, was there at any point a thought in your mind to start Kellen Mond over uh, Mannion, who ended up playing last week against the Packers? He goes, they go, did you want to see Mond? And he goes, no, I see Mond every day in practice. Don't need to see him in a game. That's pretty indicting for a guy you took in the third round that was considered, you know, this project long-term guy. Why not play him? You're not making the playoffs anyway. Uh, why not try to see what you got with him? But instead you you walk out this guy that has had almost no NFL success in his entire career. So to me, that that's signed, sealed, and delivered that this guy's got a goal and that – 27-point loss performance of the Packers last week really wasn't helping his case. And uh, I've been on the train for the last few weeks that Matt Nagy on the other side of things really needs to go as well. Uh, the only thing he's doing, he's he's hindering Justin Fields' development. Uh, he's not really putting him in the most successful situations to win. And really, the Bears looked good last week, though. So, uh, I mean, that's a plus. Uh, the defense was absolutely electric. And uh, Andy Dalton played competent enough to get the win. But really, this team's all about Justin Fields. Uh, what can you get from him? This is going to be his last start of the season. Uh, but the the main thing here is we're getting rid of both of these coaches that have been holding these franchises back. So in a game that doesn't matter for anything, it sounds like hopefully Kirk will be back. So give me the Minnesota Vikings over the Bears. Taking us to the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. And the Tennessee Titans, as it stands, are the number one seed in the AFC. And... Uh, win really secures that for him in the playoffs running through Tennessee, which if I would have told you that three, four weeks ago with Derrick Henry sitting on IR, you would have called me a liar. But facts are facts, and that's exactly where we stand here. I think that they're going to pull it off. This Houston Texans team has been frisky at points in the season, beating teams like the Chargers. But I think that the Titans are a, a much better coached uh, team. And I heard it on Chris Long's podcast today that they have an extremely high floor, and after you think about it with how efficient Tannehill plays and how good that they're able to run the ball, even with guys like Derrick Henry out, that really does raise their floor. That really makes them a better football team and really hard to beat late in the year. So give me the Tennessee Titans over the Houston Texans. Taking us to the Saints at the Falcons, and in this one it's a huge divisional showdown. It sounds like this is a, some serious bad blood each year and each meetup. And really when I'm looking at this one, Every opportunity I get to pick against the Atlanta Falcons, I'm going to do it. I, they are the most surprising 7-9 team I've ever seen. I don't understand how you can be that bad and still have seven wins. I read somewhere or heard somewhere that they have like a minus 40 point differential, but they're still almost 500, which is absolutely insanity. So give me the Saints. They're going to get their best – Atlanta's going to get their best shot. And – you're going to see a team that's extremely hungry hungry to get in the playoffs, and Taysom Hill really wants to win that job long term. I don't think he's going to, but you're going to see him fight like hell to try to get in there. So Saints over the Falcons. Taking us to another divisional showdown, Seattle Seahawks at the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, another one here where uh, Arizona's playing for a lot and Seattle's playing for nothing. So just by default here, I'm going to take the Cardinals just because – I know the Seattle has put up some points. They've looked like the Seattle Bowl the last couple weeks, but it's been against some bottom feeder teams like the Detroit Lions where you're throwing up 50 points on a team that's 
got three wins on the year. On the other side of things, this is the Arizona Cardinals team that's really good. And when they're playing their best football, they're extremely, extremely good. It sounds like Hopkins might be back uh, sometime in the late playoffs if they can make a push. So let's see him get hot here at the right time. Let's see him take down the, the Seattle Seahawks and get a win at home here, which has been tough for them to do. So Cardinals over Seahawks. Taking us to the Jets at the Buffalo Bills. Once again, Buffalo Bills playing for everything in the world. New York Jets playing for draft uh, positioning, which is don't win. So just by default here, once again, I think Josh Allen lights it up. It's going to look like a superstar quarterback. He's going to beat the brakes off the Jets, and the Jets, they're going to fold it in here early. I mean, they're going to play their guys, but it's not going to be competitive. I think they looked tough against the Buccaneers last week, but I think it's going to all come crashing down over there in uh, Buffalo. So Bills Mafia over the New York Jets. Taking us into another divisional showdown. If I had a dollar for every time I said that, I'd have at least 15 bucks, probably 14 bucks this, uh, this week, but it's going to be the New England Patriots at the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Patriots, as we mentioned, beat the tar out of uh, Jacksonville last week. Mac Jones throws for three touchdowns. Damian Harris gets a one or two on the ground. Ramondre Stevenson gets in on the action as well. And they just looked really good. Really another high floor football team where you're going to get extremely, extremely stout defense. You got two running backs that are very aggressive, very downhill running the football with a quarterback that is extremely efficient, doesn't turn the ball over a ton against a team in the Miami Dolphins that has been like riding the absolute wildest roller coaster in the NFL. You go 0-7, then you go 7-7, and and then you drop a game 34-3. So you're riding the ultimate wave here if you're a Miami Dolphins fan. But no worries, it's going to come crashing down right now. They're going to they're gonna lose this one, and they're going to miss out on the playoffs. And the Patriots playing for a lot more than you know, Miami ever thought that they were going to be. So New England Patriots over the Miami Dolphins, which takes us into this is going to be my game of the week. It's going to be the 49ers at the Los, Los Angeles Rams. And there's been some epic showdowns with these these two teams as of late. And I believe it's the Niners have really controlled that one as of late. And the Rams come in the much more complete, much better football team at this point, And they get the home game. Uh I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to take the Niners just because I think – actually, no, I, I lied. I forgot that Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing in this one. Uh, Trey Lance looked like a rookie quarterback, looked like a guy that really only could run the ball, really no, not much ability passing it. So I lied. I'm going to flip. I'm going Rams here. Give me the the Rams led by McVay and Stafford. OBJ's look like a, he's had a resurgent career here in L.A. He's got about five touchdowns since he's got into town, and – no run game, no worry. Uh, they're going to be able to spread the ball around. Cooper Cup's going to look great. Give you the Rams over the 49ers. Taking us into our last Sunday game. It's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. And this one's going to be the Sunday night. And once again, we get the Chargers playing for everything against a Raiders team that's fighting tooth and nail to try to stay in this playoff picture. And it's been a really great story with uh, them losing John Gruden and still remaining extremely competitive and really rallying behind Derek Carr and uh, Bruce Basaccia and the rest of this team and really squeaking out nine wins, which never thought that they would have got this far. I think I had them projected to go like three or four wins on the season. 
but it's all going to come crashing down here. I just think Justin Herbert's a dynamic talent. Uh, you got Austin Eckler, you got Mike Williams, you got Keenan Allen. There's a ton of weapons on that team. And even the defense, who really hasn't played up to par this year, is still littered with stars like Joey, Bur- Joey Bosa and Derwin James. So give me the Chargers over the Raiders and then really big time, uh, big time battle. So continuing on from our last week's segment where we did the NFL 2021 first round redraft, uh, we did picks one through 16 and uh, we can run through them quick here just to make sure that we, everybody knows who's currently available and who's off the board and all that fun stuff. So right off the bat, we had the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Rashawn Slater. Number two, the New York Jets taking Mac Jones. Number three, the San Francisco 49ers taking Trevor Lawrence. Number four, the Atlanta Falcons still taking Kyle Pitts. Number five, the Cincinnati Bengals still taking Jamar Chase. Number six, the Miami Dolphins still selecting Jalen Waddell. Number seven, the Detroit Lions taking Zach Wilson. And number eight, the Carolina Panthers taking Justin Fields. Number nine, the Denver Broncos taking Trey Lance. 10, Micah Parsons to the Philadelphia Eagles. 11, Penny Sewell to the Chicago Bears. Number 12, Pat Sertain to the Dallas Cowboys. Number 13 would be Devonta Smith to the Los Angeles Chargers. 14 would be Jalen Phillips to the New York Giants, or excuse me, New York Jets. And then 15 is Davis Mills to the New England Patriots. And 16 is Greg Newsome to the Arizona Cardinals. So that's the first 16 picks in our redraft. We're just going to lead right off from there, rolling right into pick number 17, and that's going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. And the Las Vegas Raiders um, have a few, quite a few needs, in my opinion, across this uh, roster. They've really been overachieving this year. So with the 17th overall pick, I'm going to take that's actually one of the best uh, rookies. In the, according to PFF, he's graded over as one of the best rookies in the entire NFL, um, possibly ever, uh, question mark. I'm not exactly sure. But it's got to be close. And I'm going to go Creed Humphrey, center from Oklahoma, to the Las Vegas Raiders. So in the offseason last year, they traded away Rodney Hudson. Uh, Creed Humphrey can step right in, be an all-pro caliber offensive lineman on the interior, help open up some more of that run game. I know they kicked Alex Leatherwood this year inside uh, to guard. So this would help fortify some of them inside spots that aren't necessarily guard in this situation. So... Number 17, Creed Humphrey to the Raiders. Taking us right into our 18th selection in the NFL redraft. And I apologize, I didn't say who they originally took. They originally took Alex Leatherwood in that 17th spot. And number 18 is going to be the Washington football team. Or excuse me, no, not the Miami Dolphins. Man, I'm all over the place. The Miami Dolphins, and they originally selected Jalen Phillips, who in our redraft is already gone. So in this situation, we're going to give him the next best pass rusher. And it's going to be Aziz Ojolari. <laughs> Aziz Ojolari, outside linebacker out of Georgia. Originally was selected by the New York Giants. This in this redraft, he's actually finished, I believe, with like eight sacks on the year, which is really good. He's at one of the lone bright spots on that New York Giant defense. So they missed out on Jalen Phillips in this one, but they're still going to get a pass rusher that's going to give them a, an impact right off the bat. So Aziz Ojolari to the New York Giants, or excuse me, to the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> this is just banned a thousand this morning. Um, number 19, it's going to be the Washington football team. And originally they selected Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky. 
in this redraft, the route that we're going to go is we're going to get another weapon to build off of here just because there's no quarterback that I believe is available uh, from last year's draft at this point. Uh, pretty much all of them are gone. There's six of them going in the top 15 picks. So why not build the rest of the offense around around it? Uh, when I take a look, Curtis Samuel hasn't been what they thought he was going to be. Uh, Terry McLaurin's really kind of just balling out on his own there. So let's give him another target that's been pleasant, a uh, very pleasant surprise. And I'm going to go Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, he's done a lot of things for the Detroit Lions this year. And he could really operate out of the slot for this team and kind of play all over the place. He can even take some snaps out of the backfield. I believe he's, he's done some jet sweep stuff as of late as well, too. So my thinking is why not pair him up with Terry McLaurin, another guy that can kind of play all over the place. And then all of a sudden you're extremely multiple and you have another target for it'd be Heineke this year. But in the future moving forward, you get two really young, great stars to build off of as targets for a young quarterback whenever you decide to bring one in. Rolling right into the 20th selection, it's going to be the New York Giants. And originally with this selection, the New York Giants took Kadarius Tony, wide receiver of Florida. And our redraft here, they're going to go Christian Barmore uh, of Alabama, the defensive, excuse me, interior defensive lineman from Alabama. Uh, Barmore originally went in the second round to the Patriots, but he's been absolutely outstanding this year. Uh, there was some first-round buzz for him last year, if I remember correctly. Uh, he was really ascending up some some boards. Some people had him going in the first round uh, in, a, in about this range. And honestly, it's, it's looking like a mistake looking back because he should have been uh, taken in the first round. He's been a, a dynamic talent, uh, pushing the pocket in the middle, being a run stopper in the middle, being an impact player for that New England's defense. That's, you know, top five, top ten in the league. So we give them to the New York Giants in this redraft. And really, that's going to help fortify some stuff up front as well between Leonard Williams, uh, Dexter Lawrence, some of these uh, bigger bodies, and create some flexibility, uh, really get your trenches right. And that's kind of where the football game starts. And if the New York Giants are looking to start anywhere, that's where maybe they need to start because they have a lot of holes to fill. So Christian Barmore to the New York Giants. At number 21, we have the Indianapolis Colts, and they originally selected Quiddy Pay. And in this redraft, that's the same That's the same one we're going to give them. Uh, I'm going to stick with Quiddy Pay going to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, when I look at this roster, it's pretty complete other than maybe a quarterback, uh, maybe a wide receiver. But at, at this point, the wide receiver room has looked pretty good. Uh, T.Y. Hilton isn't quite what he used to be, but he's been uh, marginal for them at least this year. Uh, when I take a look outside of that, you got Zach Pascal. You've got... Michael Pittman's looked really good. Uh, so you still got a few decent options. It's not like it's an immediate need. And then offensive line, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the league. Uh, and basically flipping it back over to the other side of the trenches. Uh, they originally took Quiddy Pay to help fortify some of this pass rush outside of some of these guys they already have. And he, he's been all right. He hasn't been terrible. He's shown some flashes. I think he's got like four or five sacks on the year. And really... Uh, I like him coming back here. I like the the potential he's shown in the first, you know, 16, 17 games of his career. So let's keep him here. Let's keep him on the roster and let's uh, help him moving forward. Rolling right into pick number 22. It's going to be the Tennessee Titans. They originally took Caleb Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech, who's been mostly injured this this season. So we haven't seen much of him. But in the redraft, we're going to go a different route just because of the, the 
the injury issues are too much to overlook in this situation. So I'm going to go Nate Hobbs. Uh, Nate Hobbs is a cornerback originally selected in like the fifth round, but he's been extremely, extremely good. I think he's the, the highest graded cornerback by PFF uh, for all rookies this year. So that's, that's extremely, extremely good. So why not plug and play him in this Tennessee defense that's been looking for corners left and right for the last few years, and they just seem to keep striking out? Let's let's plug this guy in here, and instead of getting lost, uh, excuse me, lost snaps with like Caleb Farley, who's not played anymore, uh, let's get Nate Hobbs in there, a guy that's really excelled. That could be one of the the things that really propelled this Tennessee de- this defense that's as they sit as the one seed right now into the playoffs and really make them take it to the next level because that's about the only hole I see on this team. So Nate Hobbs to the Tennessee Titans at 22. 23rd selection is going to be the Minnesota Vikings, and they originally selected Christian Derrissaw, uh, offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. Christian Derrissaw, uh, honestly, I, I, I'm going to go with the same pick here. We're going to go Christian Derrissaw to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, when he's played, he's looked like a, a mauler, and really the entire Minnesota offense is built around Dalvin Cook and his ability to really pack the box. And when they do that, you're going to want to be able to run the ball. You're going to be able to want to put these big dancing bears in the trenches and really move people around. And Christian Derrissaw is exactly that. He's a big dude. He's a mauler. And he's looked pretty good for him when he's played. I know he's had some injury concerns, but I believe he started at least half of the games this year. So Christian Derrissaw, we're going to keep you to the Minnesota Vikings at 23. At 24, we got the Pittsburgh Steelers, and their original selection it was Najee Harris, running back out of Alabama. And this one, we're going to go a different route. We're going to go Odafe Owe uh, from Penn State to the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24. I know coming into the year, they had high hopes for Alex Highsmith to be a, a dynamic pass rusher opposite of TJ Watt, but I don't know if he's exactly lived up to that. Uh, I think that they could get this Odafe Owe guy in there, and he's looked really, really, really good for their division rival, Baltimore Ravens. And I don't know if it's just something in that Baltimore Ravens coaching staff that gets the most out of some of these guys, but I think he could have some serious potential playing opposite T.J. Watt. You're going to see a lot more single teams. You're going to see a lot more uh, backs being uh, shifted your way. So that's a big thing here, I think. You get him on the Steelers, and this is a completely different defense, especially playing opposite T.J. Watt, who may break the sack record uh, this coming week. So we're going to go Odafe Owe to the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24. At 25, we get the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the original selection here was Travis Etienne running back out of Clemson going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're going to go a different route just because Travis Etienne has not lived up to his hype as well. he had a serious foot injury that's kept him out the entire year, and we really just don't even know what he is at this point. But instead, I'm going to go a different route that really had a lot of people, uh, it was a need that a lot of people had pegged for him early in the year, and it's going to be tight end, and it's going to be Pat Fryermuth to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think Pat Fryermuth has like somewhere from between 8 and 10 touchdowns this year. It's just a crazy number. Uh, he's been a really big, uh, big-time big target for Big Ben in the red zone. So why not, instead of tossing these scrap heap guys out there like James O'Shaughnessy and Dan Arnold who they had to trade for mid-season why not go get a guy built for the future a guy that's going to be able to to grow in the offense with well in this case it'd be Gardner Minshew since we didn't take Trevor Lawrence but in real life it would have been Trevor Lawrence right uh he'd be a really key piece he's a he's a middle of the field target 
Uh, he's only getting better. He's a great run blocker already. So give me Pat Fryermuth to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Moving right along to the 26th selection in our redraft here. It's going to be the Cleveland Browns. Originally the Cleveland Browns with the 26th selection. Took uh, Greg Newsome in this situation. He's already off the board. So we're going to go another route here. And we're going to get uh, Jeremiah Uso-Koromoa, linebacker out of Notre Dame. And really, uh, they, they ended up getting him in the second round, which is an absolute steal. And really, I have to take him here at the 26th selection because I don't know if he'd have lasted much longer uh, based on how he's played this season. Uh, I know he's been injured a couple times this year. Uh, he's ended up on Don't quote me on this. I might have been the COVID list once or twice for a couple games. And uh, But when he's on the field, he's a difference maker. This dude is like the, the next generation of linebacker in basically what every team's going to want in the next few years. He can play sideline to sideline. He can cover anywhere on the field. He can play the run. Uh, he, he's fast enough to, to stick with receivers for a short bit of time. Uh, he's just a, he's a really good football player, really instinctual, and just absolutely phenomenal athlete. Uh, he was one of my favorite guys coming out of the draft, and he still is. Uh, when he plays, he's definitely a top 15 player in this uh, this class, but that's also what pushed him down draft boards was a, was a, heart, a lingering heart issue. Uh, and really what's kind of nagged him through this career is, is, is still the injuries. So we're still going to take him with a 26 selection just because, like I said, I don't think I don't think he's making it out of the first round in this redraft. So Cleveland's got to make sure they keep him on their board, keep him on their squad right here at 26. I'm just going to take us right to the 27th selection, and it's going to be the New Orleans Saints. Or, you know, I apologize. It's going to be the Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens originally selected, uh, I believe it was Rashad Bateman here. Rashad Bateman. Missed a bunch of time due to injury as well. Uh, he's looked all right when he's played. He's been a, one of Lamar's favorite targets when he plays. But th- that's the trick, once again, is when he plays. So we got to get someone that's going to make an impact on this roster because they're a fringe playoff team that, you know, a little bit of help could have pushed them over the top. And we've seen what happened to their defensive backfield this season. It was absolutely decimated. So let's let's bolster it with one of the best guys in this draft who's been one of the biggest game changers on the the defensive side of the ball in this draft. It's going to be Jevin Holland, or Javon Holland, uh, safety out of Oregon. Uh, Javon Holland kind of plays all over the place. He plays sometimes in a nickel. He plays sometimes in a single high safety. Uh, he's a tackling machine. I think he's got like two picks on the season, I believe. Uh, he's kind of a jackknife of all trades for that Miami defense. So let's move him up here and take him at number 27 for a pay, uh, Ravens defense that's in dire need of some help. I know there was some buzz of them taking a safety last year, so let's let's give them one here. Let's give them someone that's going to start on the back end for the next 10 years, uh, and he's going to look really good in that purple uh, over there in Baltimore. So Baltimore Ravens selecting Javon Holland, safety out of Oregon. Taking us to the 28th selection, it's going to be the New Orleans Saints. And the New Orleans Saints originally selected Peyton Turner at this selection. Uh, Peyton Turner has been less than stellar in his uh, rookie debut uh, it's okay. He's just a rookie. He's got time to develop. But another another play team that's looking to be fighting for a playoff spot here. So let's give him someone that's going to impact this defense right off the bat. And really, uh, I'm going to give him the next best corner in my mind. And it's going to be Eric Stokes, uh, corner out of Georgia. Uh, Stokes ended up going to Green Bay a pick after this uh, originally. But in the redraft, we're going to give him to New Orleans. 
Uh, they, they started Paulson Adebo for most of the year. I think Stokes has looked a little bit better than Paulson Adebo. So in this redraft, we're going to give him just a better version of that. And a guy that can pair up opposite Mar- Marshawn Lattimore. So Eric Stokes, number 28 to the New Orleans Saints. Which takes us right to the 29th selection. It's going to be the Green Bay Packers. And the New Orleans Saints stole their guy right in front of them. So in this redraft, we're going to go the next best option. And when you look at this Packers team, they're fairly good around the board. I know a lot of teams, want to, a lot of people want to give them receivers. But, I mean, Valdez, Scantling, uh, Lazard have looked really good behind Devontae Adams this year. So I'm not going to go that route. Uh, tight end's an option, but there's just not a lot of guys left on the board. And when I look at it, the other glaring need on this team is cornerback. Uh, I still think that cornerbacks are still hampering this team. Jair Alexander sitting out. Uh, Kevin King is not one of my favorite players, so I'm, I'm definitely not uh, going to be rooting in his corner for him. And Eric Stokes has looked really good, but in this redraft, he's gone already. So let's give him the next best guy. It's going to be Paulson Adebo, a cornerback out of Stanford. Paulson Adebo was one of my draft crushes last year as well, too. I thought he was really, really good. And he's, I believe he started pretty much every game that he's played in this season for the New Orleans Saints. And he's got, I believe, two interceptions on the year as well. So I think that he's got some serious potential. I think that he could play really well in this uh, this defense that Green Bay runs. Uh, he, he looked really good next to Rasul Douglas. And when a Jair comes back, he can be a guy that, or you can kick Jair into the slot and you can keep this guy all wide. Uh, I mean, you just give you a lot of options here. So give me Paulson Adebo to the Green Bay Packers at 29 and moving right on to the next pick. <laughs> I don't know. I'm struggling through that so hard. Uh, the 30th selection is going to be Gregory Rousseau, uh, Buffalo Bills. And we're going to stick with that original selection, Gregory Rousseau, here at 30. I think Gregory Rousseau is hes a very high-ceiling player. Uh, th- this is always going to be a pick that, yeah, hopefully you get some production out of the guy in year one, but you're more so looking at years two, three, four, five with this guy. This, he's going to start really reaching that ceiling. He's like six, seven, like 260, 270 pounds, so he's got a huge frame that he can add some weight to him. And if he ends up being like a Calais Campbell type of guy, this is an absolute steal for them at pick 30. And really, they've gotten some production out of him this year. They've really allowed that defensive front to be multiple. And knowing what we know now, they could have took maybe a corner here, but there's none that I really like at this point in the draft all that much. So we're going to just stick with Gregory Rousseau, uh, help keep that, that multiple defensive front there for them. So Gregory Rousseau, number 30 to the Buffalo Bills. And the 31st selection in the NFL draft, redraft this year, is going to be, well, let's give you the original pick. The original pick was Orfe Owe. He's now gone in this 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 instance. So we're going to go a different route here at 31, and we're going to go Elijah Moore, wide receiver Ole Miss, to the Baltimore Ravens at 31. So Elijah Moore, uh, he missed some time for the New York Jets, but he's had a couple of really breakout performances where he's had, you know, half a dozen catches, you know, 80 to 100 yards and a couple touch, touchdowns. And I believe he's like the fifth leading receiver on that roster right now. Or excuse me, the fifth leading rookie receiver in the NFL now behind uh, obviously the, the top three guys. And then I believe it's or it's uh, Rondale Moore. But we're going to go with Elijah Moore. I think if you go on like a per-game basis, he's been really, really, really good for this team. And he's shown that he's got some ability to be like a possible number one 
more likely number two target. And I think he'd pair really good. I know he's he's another one of these short, speedy guys that they got, like Hollywood Brown. But he's he's more than that. He can stretch the field. He can catch the, you know the the chain moving catches. He can do a lot of different things, and I think he's a really great talent. So let's give him to the Baltimore Ravens here. Let's help Lamar out, give him another target at 31. And with our final selection in the NFL redraft, it's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their original selection was Joe Tryon, and Joe Tryon had a couple big games early, had put up a few sack numbers, but really has kind of cooled off since then. And I'm, I'm still a huge believer in Joe Tryon, but when I'm looking at this Tampa Bay team, and what they're going to need here for the stretch. I have a lot, a lot of faith in, oh, excuse me, uh, not a lot of faith in their running game right now. And when I'm taking a look at it, I want to get them a running back that's going to help them right now. And lo and behold, the best one in the draft is still available. We're going Najee Harris at 32 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Najee's looked really, really, really good in games this year. And then he's looked really, really or I shouldn't say really, really, but he's, he's disappeared in some. And I don't think that's his fault. I think that's because you don't really have much of a threat throwing the ball. So these teams know that they're going to just feed him. So let's put you on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster, and we're going to watch you really cook. Leonard Fournette's probably not on this team halfway through the year if Najee Harris is playing for them, just because he's he's that good. I, I think he's a, he's a really next-level talent. I think he's able to do a lot of different things that a lot of guys in the league can't do. So Najee Harris, 32 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that's going to be it for our NFL redraft here. Uh, hopefully you guys liked it. It's a little bit different, a little bit of a test, kind of see where the rookies are at, see where some of these teams are at, see if, if they could have maybe shook something up that uh, maybe would have changed the draft last year. And it's obviously nothing that's ever going to really happen, but it's kind of just something, something fun to go through quick. So there it is. Uh, that's going to be your redraft. So that's going to be it, folks. Uh, That's all we got for you this week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, some of the stuff that we ran through. The NFL redraft took a lot of thought. I actually I had to run through it all before we, you know, we would uh, start the podcast up and make sure I had it all sorted out and got the guys that I wanted where I wanted. And I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anybody that was having a really good year. So let us know your thoughts on that. As always, make sure you hit subscribe. We're coming back each week with our favorite storylines and our predictions for the week ahead. Uh, It's the final regular season game, so it's going to get really interesting the week after this. So make sure you're tuning in. We'll see you next week.